One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 upfront for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for a limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The late lunch with Blackstone Motors, Johara Tandok and Cavan. Discover the all-new Renault Arcana at Blackstone Motors that comes with a 5-year warranty. Call us now to arrange a test drive or visit blackstonemotors.ie for more details. You are very welcome along to the late lunch here on LMFM on this sunny Monday afternoon and the country is finally easing its restrictions further. We're getting back to normal, thanks be to God. And uh, some of you may be back in work for the first time in a long time today. Um, I've been in work since the pandemic began, but if you've been at home, I'd love to hear from you to see what it's like going back on your first day. And it's great that they can ease you back into your job and hopefully you won't be back full time if that's what you don't want to do. But uh, it's a whole new world now, this remote learning. So uh, do feel free to share your stories with us. The contact details, as always, you can email us at info at lmfm.ie or you can text or WhatsApp us on 86 658 We're here until half three, so we'd love to hear from you, myself and Louise Walsh. Now, coming up on today's show, no offers, no panic. There is life after the CAO offer, so don't lose heart. A mead lady who set up a child cancer charity after the death of her child will be on to speak to us. The Zone and Huckleberry and Navin is finally open as is the rest of the country we're finally getting there we're finally getting there we're going to hear about the lock it or lose it campaign a warning to bike owners as the rise in stolen bicycles do, do continues and I find this I find this so angering it just really makes me rage that people steal these gorgeous bikes you go and you get a you know, a lovely bike for your birthday or a lovely bike at Christmas or something. Santi brings you a bike and then someone steals it. It just drives me mad. But there is a huge rise in bike theft at the moment. So stay tuned for that. The Husky Whisperer. Can't wait to hear from him. And uh, he'll be on too. So a GAA star also, Connor Gormley, will be on to tell us about how a defibrillator saved his father's life after he collapsed at one of the matches. And we'll be hearing from the Mead Coast first responders as well. And they're continuing fantastic rollout of defibrillators. But first as round two offers are made by the CAO today we thought it would be timely to look at some options closer to home. Options that will get your son or daughter or even yourself as a mature learner on the road to your career goal. Now I'm not sure if you know but Dunboyne College of Further Education is the post-leaving cert college for students in Meath. 
And it's one of the largest in the country with over a thousand students. Uh, so they're part of the Louth and Mead Education and Training Board as well. But what most people don't know is that you can use your points from the courses in that college instead of your leaving cert results to gain a place in un- in university to get a degree there. Uh, so you don't always have to worry too much about the CAO. I mean, I didn't go to um, university. I went to a PLC and it's, uh, look, I did all right. I did all right. So let's talk to the experts. We've got um, the principal of Dunboyne Community College, Dennis Leonard, on the line. Kadir Gire is a past student of pre-university law in Dunboyne College. And Pamela Ryan, past student of pre-nursing course in Dunboyne College. You're all very welcome to the late lunch. How are you all? Thank you, Alison. Thanks for the thanks for the invitation. No problem at all. We'll start with you, Dennis, uh, principal of, of Dunboyne College. Um, look, it's a fact that the, your college sends more students to universities and institutes of technology than the majority of secondary schools in the country. Oh yes, uh, hundreds, uh, over three to four hundred of ours would get offers every year, many at level eight, uh, including over 120 to Maynooth, uh, you know, 30 plus to UCD, uh, you know, over 200 offers to the Technical University of Dublin. And I think the important thing is, as you mentioned, Alison, the second round offers are out today. And it's very important not to get stuck in this position that often leaving cert students are stuck in. Don't forget they've had a horrible two years. A lot of fifth year was missed, an awful lot of sixth year, uh, you know, options around exams not really knowing, being left in the dark. I think now is the time to give them a bit of clarity and say, look, it, no matter what happens in terms of your CAO, there are many ways to get to the place that you want to go. There's not just one way. You know, a lot of people don't marry the first person they meet. They don't pick out the first dress and, and try it on and like it. You know, and same with courses. Sometimes you get a course in your head and you say, I have to go to this course. This is the only way I'm going to get to my career. But the reality is there's a myriad of ways to get to where you want to go. Some people go directly into third level. Some people do a course like us for a year first and then go on to third level. Other people might decide to wait and be a mature learner, maybe work for a few years. Some people feel, look, I'm 17 or 18. I don't really know what I want to do. I'm not going to commit to a four-year degree in something I'm not really sure about. There are people who've entered, you know, you know, something like DCU to do nursing and discover in November they don't like the sight of blood. I mean, the fact is you will discover that on a pre-nursing course in Dunboyne College where you'll also get the clinical experience. So when you do go to college, you actually re-choose that particular option. And the stats are there, Alison. 10% of people drop out in first-year university, up to 20% in the IOTs. But it's less than 3% for people who do a PLC type program first in pre-science or pre-arts or pre-engineering, whatever happens to be, and then move on. And as you mentioned, we're very lucky in Louth and Meath. We have Ophi College in Dundalk. We have uh, Drogheda Institute of Further Education there beside LMFM in Drogheda. And we have Dunboyne College serving all in Meath. And we also serve West Dublin, North Kildare. So we have three great further education colleges in the region. And we're very proud of our record of sending students on, but also sending very happy students on, delighted for the year they have spent to crystallize their options, to really see, to learn research, referencing, self-directed learning, to learn what they need to learn to help them to survive in third level. We give them those skills on the ground, and many people will say it's one of the best years they ever spent, because it's a chance to breathe after the leave insert and then head on to the new chapter, be a third level, or also directly into a career in, you know, hair or beauty or childcare mm. or the health service. You can also go directly on to careers from us, you know. I, I fully agree with you there, Dennis. I can't speak highly enough about PLC. I was just 
gone 17 when I did my leave insert. Now, I always knew I wanted to be involved in the media, but I feel I was lucky that I knew that because a lot of people that around me didn't know what they wanted to do. I was just lucky that I did know what I wanted to do. Uh, still not a film director, though, but hey, I'm still working on it. <laughs> You're on the route. <laughs> I'm on the route. And, uh, and I never give up on my dreams. Oh, you're but dead right. That's I, the important thing. It is really important. You, there. you never give up on your dreams. Never. And I still think, Dennis, though, that the PLC courses, because I did, I went to the Drogheda College of Further Education. I did a year there of business and secretarial. I have those typing skills and shorthand for the rest of my life. And it's been a, been a journalist and being in court and covering things. They were all brilliant. Um, and then I went and did a three-year PLC course in Coolock for, it, at the time, it was a three-year diploma course for media communications. And I thought it was fantastic. I didn't go on to university. I didn't want to. I was happy with what I had. I think people don't appreciate the importance of PLCs and just preparing you and easing you in. And, and you, I was very sure of what I wanted to do. Yes, and all these courses are extremely relevant. I mean, they're, they're certified by the Quality and Qualifications uh, of Ireland. They are, you know, at level five. They are, they, they, uh, they are very much a step on the ladder. You have to see your educational journey as a ladder. Yeah. And sometimes you climb it one rung at a time. Some people want to jump up three rungs at a time yeah. to get to where they want to go. Sometimes we're in a hurry to get there. And along the way, we miss out on vital skills or vital learning opportunities that might have helped us to feel more comfortable when we do arrive in our career, that we have all the skills for so whether you want to do healthcare or science or arts, law and teaching or computers, and often people forget this. When you do the leave insert, one of the hardest exams you'll ever do, you have to be good at humanities, you have to be good at maths, you have to be good at science, you have to be good at languages, you have to be good at so many things to do well in it. Well, when you come to us, if you're into computers and design or software or whatever, you just need to be good at computers. If you're into healthcare, social science, you just need to be good at those particular mm-hmm. types of subjects. A science student, for instance, will do biology, chemistry, physics, lab techniques, all subjects they like and that they're good at, that they have a passion for. So, of course, you will do better than in an exam where you had to be good at four or five different disciplines, many of which did not suit you to begin with. And I think that's where you really find your home and you re-choose then what you want to do when you move on from from here and students really you know they gain the full college experience here they come here in their own clothes they're very much the college experience they, in a smaller setting you break into what college life is like particularly self-directed learning where you're responsible for your own learning for exactly how you you, you will achieve I think that's so important um, is, if anyone's listening now at the moment we're speaking about uh, CAO offers and we're saying you know you don't have to panic you don't have to panic over the CAO offers we'd love to hear from anyone who's listening who's kind of in a bit of a worry because people do get themselves into a terrible state over these things when really there are other options so text us in here on the late lunch at 086 1800 658 um, let's speak to some of your past students there at Dunboyne Community College we've got Kadir Gure who was a past student of pre-university law at Dunboyne Dunboyne College and Pamela Ryan a past student of pre-nursing course in uh, Dunboyne also. Pamela I'll start with you. I mean we heard about the nursing and the blood. <laughs> Good to have you on the show uh, but I mean you, you've you done the pre-nursing course. I mean were you 100% sure you wanted to do it or did it, it, it did it cement the idea for you? What, what happened when you went to, to the school? Yeah, so I found myself in a position when COVID happened. Um, obviously, I was uh, my whole background is tourism and travel and hospitality. And 20 plus years ago, I would have been in college before studying that. But I always had um, it in the back of my head that I would love to do something with nursing. And then I went on to have four children. So uh, the, the dream was knocked every couple of years and then I'd come back again. 
And I found myself in 2019 in the opportunity and in the position that I was able to take up the course uh, for 2020. And so I signed up and I said, I'll do the year. It was not better to do that than go try and go straight into three years. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah, yeah. I absolutely loved it. Um, nice. I had all, obviously, the, the nervousness of being a mature student and can I do this and will I be able to manage it? Obviously, home life with four children going to school and that side of it. But then even academically, did I know enough and would I be able to uh, keep up with the youngsters, as I'd say? Yeah. <laughs> <But> <laughs> and how did you say, find it? How did you find it? Oh, from day one, the college, Dunboyne in particular, they're all brilliant, I'm sure, but my experience is in Dunboyne. Um, the, the, the whole system, the, everything that's in place to accept research students, to help them along, to nurture them and guide you the whole way through is just unbelievable. Literally from day one, they sit you down and they tell you, don't be afraid, mm. you know, you can do this the same as anyone else. And they stay with you right to the end. I have nothing but good words to say about the whole team across the board, not even just the nursing team um, and the, the lecturers in healthcare. They are second to none. So no regrets at all. You thoroughly enjoyed it. Absolutely. And as Dennis said, it just kind of cements, do you want to go on and do this really? And what happened? What happened after you did the year? Well, after I did the year, I actually got awarded a scholarship while I was there, which was unbelievable. Wow. Yeah. And then I went on and did some work experience as well with um, uh, with, uh, uh, an institution down here. And now I'm just looking at my options. I always thought I was going to take it slow and do the year and then figure out Mm. I wasn't going to rush into third level because obviously my logistics are different being a mature student. Mm -hmm. So now I'm looking at work experience and that kind of route and maybe doing one or two more um, courses because I have the confidence now. Wow. One or two more modules and then look at CAO. Um, but I now believe that, you know, I could possibly get a place and I could go on and do three years and I'd be confident going into it because I've learned so much from PLC. It kind of gives you the groundwork mm. and I believe you'd go into first year and you would be a hundred times more confident in your skills from September and not miss out from September to, say, December, finding your feet of how to do Harvard referencing and things like that for, for assignments, which I would have never heard of 20 years ago. Oh, that's a fantastic. So it worked out brilliant for you. And just as a mature student, Pamela, um, you know, you've, you've managed to juggle the kids' life without yeah. uh, a full-time income, I assume, and, um, yeah. and just managing all of those things. I mean, you'd, you'd highly recommend it for older people who want to go back to school. Oh, absolutely. I've loads of friends that say, you know, oh, fair play to you for doing that. I couldn't do it. They could do it. And were you the old? Were you the oldest in the class or were you, there was people your age? Oh, wait. <laughs> I was the oldest in my particular class. Everybody was 17, 18. And um, I, was, I have a 17-year-old leaving their student here at home. So I was well, I was able to relate to them. But they, they were just brilliant. Mm. They were great. They never made me feel awkward or old or anything else and well you're not old you're not old old. to them I'm old (laughs) but they in the college itself they actually have um a whole social aspect set up so that mature students meet mature students okay so you know there's coffee breaks and tea mornings and everything organized so that you don't feel alone if you're a mature student fantastic absolutely brilliant and Kadir you're a past student of the pre-university law in in Dunboyne how was your experience yeah, I um well, around this time last year, I would have been, got my CAO offers from the Leaving Cert, and between the predicted grades and the grade inflations, I missed out on 
virtually every course that was on my CAO. So oh. it was a very uncertain situation that I had been in. Oh, dear. Uh, so, I mean, the PLC, I hadn't, I knew they existed, but mm-hmm. I hadn't really heard much about them. So I was unsure. Now, my mom was the person who actually suggested having looked at the PLC to me. So, I mean, I got on straight away and registered because it was something to do for the year anyway. Mm-hmm. So uh, I decided to go in. I, I didn't know what to expect at all. I went in with an open mind. And I mean, I must say I was blown away by the experience. It far surpassed anything that I could have ever expected. I mean, as Pamela was saying, the the tuition, not only the tuition, but the teaching over there and the dedication from the teachers is second to none. I mean, anytime, even outside of college hours, teachers are there. If you need a hand, you fire off an email. A lot of them, you can give them a call and they'll pick up, run through stuff with you, assignments, exams, anything. I mean, I couldn't recommend enough. Now, um, and I mean, as you see from Pamela's experience, I'm not the only one to say that. I mean, I was on the student union last year, so I would have been in contact with a lot of different students around the college. Mm-hmm. And I mean, none of them ever really had a bad thing to say about the college. They all were kind of the exact same as me. And I mean, as I was saying, the tuition over there and the dedication to this day during the evening, my myself and my parents still speak about it. It's that wow. phenomenal. And Kadir, I mean, there's a lot of students probably listening now who, you know, didn't get the offers that they want. What would you say to them? Because you know what it feels like. You must have been devastated. Well, the first thing I'd say is, I mean, get an application into the PLCs as soon as you can. I was lucky to get a place. I mean, because they were almost fully booked by the time I had applied. But I mean, not only students this year, but I'd say students in fifth and sixth year now, I'd say put down an application for the PLC. Doesn't matter if you know what you want to do, you don't know what to do. It's always a good thing to have there. And I mean, the PLC... Any, I'd recommend it to anyone, all walks of life, anyone of any age. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah. I'm delighted for you. I'm delighted for you both because it sounds like an absolutely positive experience. I'm already thinking now, what courses could I do? Uh, Dennis, I'll come back to you. It's not too late to apply. No, absolutely. And it's important, as I just mentioned, there's no points required. It's very much your aptitude, mm-hmm. your passion for the course. That's what we looked at. You're going to get an industry-based experience. You can still apply, as Pamela and Kadir both outlined. Mm-hmm. It, it can be the right choice at the right time for you. So if you ring up our office, um, you know, 018026577, we have two wonderful secretaries there, Christine and Vilma. They'll talk to you. They'll, they'll, they'll listen to what you have to say. And they'll, they'll, if, if you need it, they'll put you on to Derek and Maeve, our guidance counsellors. We very much work with people to make sure that they get into the right place mm-hmm. every August, September, October, because we, we ver- believe very strongly that it's a very key point in your educational journey. And it's the right time to reflect now and take the right step. And the first, second, third round offer, any offer does not go your way, please apply to us because we do have vacant places in all our courses at this time of year because some of our own people might have applied earlier, might have got a university place or IOT place, they might have moved on. And that creates vacant places in our programs, which are great. And the same is true in Drogheda of Diffie or Ophi in Dundalk. We have three wonderful colleges, LMETB, and we all are here to serve you. So please pick up the phone, 802 you're in the 01 area, and just uh, you know, apply. Please do not give up on your dream because a lot of people have come here, have been disappointed in the first instance, but they walk out of here the following summer saying, now I'm ready to head exactly to
to where I want to go. I love it. Rev up those engines. There <laughs> is life after the CAO. Yeah, you're abs- No, you're absolutely right. Uh, it's there for you. Just just do it. Take the step and don't be afraid. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Absolutely. Guys, thank you so much for joining us here on The Late Lunch. Uh, fantastic feature and I wish you all the very best luck. That's uh, Dennis Leonard, who's the uh, principal of Dunboyne Community College. Kadir Gure, who's a past student and Pamela Ryan as well, also a past student. Both a mature and a current student or a young student, both giving us their experiences there. Uh, you're listening to The Late Lunch. Do get in touch if you're stuck in the CAO places. Please do let us know and uh, there is hope after the CAO. Text us on 086 658 We'll take a break and we'll be back after this. Welcome back to The Late Lunch here on LMFM. We've a packed show for you today and we're here until half past three. So we would love to hear from you as always. You can text or WhatsApp us on 86 or you can email us at info lmfm dot at lmfm dot ie. Uh, we'll be looking at the lock it or lose it scheme coming up about stolen bikes. And we'll be talking to a husky whisperer as well. I can't wait to hear that story because I am a big dog lover, as everybody knows. But first, a special room in Our Lady of Lords Hospital is dedicated to childhood cancer. And it was set up by a Mead woman. Now, to tell us more, Mary Claire Rennick from the Childhood Cancer charity is on the line. Mary Claire, how are you? Um, hi, Alison. Thanks very much for having me on. No problem at all. Um, there's an average of over 2,000 children a year who are diagnosed with cancer in Ireland. No, that's uh, there's over 200 children. Over 200. Okay, um, I thought the figure was very high. Ages. Well, there, there would be a lot of uh, children in treatment because obviously treatment protocols um, last for a number of years. Mm-hmm. For example, if you are a girl with leukaemia, you'd be in treatment for two and a half years. If you're a boy, you'd be in treatment for three and a half years. Okay. So it really depends on your diagnosis and how um, you react to um, your, your treatment, whether um, there are any difficulties along the way. So it really depends on, e- on each child. Now, your daughter Alice was diagnosed with leukaemia in 2013. That's right, yes. She was diagnosed with, um, it's a, a pretty rare leukaemia. It was called acute promyelocytic leukaemia, the APML leukaemia. But, you know, we were very fortunate. Uh, we were treated uh, all the time in in, um, in Clodagh South Ireland at Crumlin, mm-hmm. which is formerly known as, um, uh, sorry, I've forgotten the name now, but it, okay. they all have new names. So it was St. John's Ward mm-hmm. in Crumlin where she was treated and, um, you know, her treatment went well and very fortunate to have come out the other side. So you went through all of that and uh, that's a very stressful thing to go through with your family. Yes, it is. It's it's very stressful for, for all families and, um, you know, I'm very conscious that some families were not as fortunate as, mm-hmm. as we were. Um, you know, our protocol went well. Alice responded well to treatment. Mm-hmm. And as you say, um, obviously, you do have all the difficulties of, of having chemotherapy, but we didn't require any surgeries or any radiotherapy. And you have all the side effects like hair loss, etc. Um, loss of time at school and the isolation. But, but um, very conscious that some families um, have really 
much worse time and the children you know don't respond as well to their treatments and very um, tragically a number of children are lost each year to cancer. I know I know it's it's desperately sad that uh, the the numbers are quite high well look I mean the death of a child is just horrendous you know but what you were trying to do with uh, with this was to have a specialised room for families who are going through this particularly with children. Yes, well, we're we're a voluntary um, charity which was set up in 2013 by parents of children um, who were all attending St John's Ward mm-hmm. in in Crumlin, and it started with a simple lighted up gold campaign, which was lighting buildings up around the country to raise awareness of the issues of. I remember um, that, yeah, cancer. yeah, Millmount, and it was a gorgeous gesture, yeah, so, yeah. Um, and, you know, very iconic and well-known buildings around the country lit up gold. And then we used to have um, vigil walks. But obviously with COVID, um, that really wasn't possible. So um, what we had this year was we, we had a very important conference on the 11th of September, organised by ourselves, by another voluntary charity called Canty and another Can Care for a Living, which was to connect patients, survivors, parents, families, carers, advocates, medical professionals, connect all together um, to update on what was going on with um, children, childhood, adolescent, young adult cancers in Ireland and to um, look at all the unmet needs and the challenges and um, to hear from survivors also um, and adolescents and and then to work together and to collaborate on how we can um, we can meet the challenges and address them and move things forward. So it was an extremely successful conference with over 250 delegates and presentations by the Irish Cancer Society, National Cancer Control Programme, um, fertility clinics, etc. So it, it was it was really good to mark Child of Cancer Awareness Month. And we also have, uh, just to tell your listeners about mm podcast series which is gold ribbon conversations which is really important because parents people who want to understand more about childhood adolescents young adult cancers they can listen to these podcasts which are one is by a, a, a medical consultant another is a childhood cancer survivor another is a parent dealing with a young person undergoing treatment another is a bereaved parent and also a play specialist so it really gives you uh, an insight into um, the world of childhood and, and adolescent uh, cancers if you are really unfortunate enough for it to have come knocking on your door. So this dedicated oncology room is in the Lord's Hospital in Drogheda? That's right, yes. Well, it was one of our projects, is, uh, we call it our shared care projects, where we go um, to the, we're working way around the 16 shared care, which are regi- regional hospitals, to improve the paediatric um, oncology isolation room. So when children are um, with cancer are in these hospitals, they're, they have to stay in isolation because they are obviously immunosuppressed. So one we worked on with in collaboration with Drogheda Rotary Club mm-hmm. and Carl Allen and uh, little um, Alice Turner helped us launch it. And I worked with Lindsay Turner on it also. And it was a huge success because um, before the children didn't have a dedicated, spa- dedicated space in which to go to when they were attending for their line maintenance, for bloods, for dressing changes or other cancer-related care. They were sitting on the on the floor of of, of the um, 
of the paediatric unit waiting for a room to come free for them to go into and have their treatment. And remember, these are children who are very sick and they, they just want need to get in, get their care and get home again. Um, so it was we worked with uh, Connie Crehan, is the, the nurse in charge there, who was absolutely fantastic. And we, um, the Lord's Hospital uh, assigned a room and then we completely revamped it um, uh, all structurally and uh, equipment. So now it is a wonderful, dedicated um, space for for children and adolescents who are attending the Lords for their um, for their cancer related care. It's very it difficult. Such a difference to the life of the children, their parents who attend with them, and to the staff because everything they need is 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 in that room. Um, there's also um, different games and wall mounted games and. Um, handheld devices and TVs to, to keep the children occupied when they're there and then all the medical equipment is there and a specialised bed and it's a very nice um, colourful um, interesting and comfortable space for them. And that's really important isn't it? Because you don't want children going into this sort of clinical atmosphere. You want them to feel calm because what they're going through is rigorous enough. Yes. Yeah, we, we want to, with this project, we want them to the, to have um, the facilities that are, let's say, as good as the facilities that they would now have on St. John's Board in, in Crumlin, mm. um, which has only been revamped over the last, um, well, about when we were in treatment, we were in the old unit, and it's only when you move to the new unit you realise how appalling the facilities in the old unit were. But as a, as a, a parent of a, your child, like your priority is, the medical treatment and, you know, you, you'll put up with a lot once you know that you're getting um, the right uh, treatment and care. But the facilities are absolutely massively important. Absolutely. No, I had a, a, a very sick foster child at one point and spent a lot of time in various hospitals. And yeah. I just thought, my God, is yeah. this what children have to face? And I mean, it's not obviously the, the, the fault of the staff, but I just felt no, that... It's the staff are amazing. Yeah. The staff are absolutely amazing. Yeah. So improving the facility improves also the facilities that, that enable the staff who are so specialised when they're dealing with in the area of oncology and it gives them the proper working environment also to treat these children. And like I mean, I was shocked when around the country that um, that any units, the children didn't have electric beds. Now, I, I consider that f- fairly basic where a child is extremely ill mm. and the only thing that they're in control of is how to make themselves comfortable in a bed. So we've been buying quite a lot of electric beds and putting them into uh, shared care units around the country. And how have the families reacted to these facilities? Well, the f- feedback has been, has been excellent. Um, and, you know, we, we, the, the families who we work with, as I say, we're a voluntary organisation. Mm. So um, the feedback has been really good and um, that feedback encourages us to keep going. And like we yeah. have a very important advocacy role. We sit on a number of um, uh, bodies, which are National Cancer Control Programme and the Irish Cancer Society page, uh, Parent Advisory Group. So we're advocating constantly for better supports and services for children and adolescents with and Mayor Clare, can I ask you now, when you take up something as big as this, that's a huge task to undertake to get this up and running. And you said you're a voluntary group. How yeah. do you get them to listen to you with, with all of your concerns? How do you get the hospitals and the HSC and all the rest on board to actually make these things happen? Well, I suppose we're very fortunate that we have a place at the table. 
Um, so we sit on a number of um, committees of the National Cancer Control Programme, which is the body which was put in place to implement the recommendations of the National Cancer Strategy. Now, that's an ongoing strategy, a 10-year strategy, but the last strategy, there was no mention of children in it. So the fact that, you know, the children are in this strategy is, is excellent. And uh, we have, we're, we're the parent, the voice of, um, of children and adolescents with cancer on these committees. And um, so we are constantly advocating for, um, you know, for, for improvements. And so that firstly, that there's an understanding that there are unmet needs. Um, for example, in the areas of um, lack of psychosocial support, um, lack of play therapy, um, lack of financial support. So it's a matter of getting people to understand where the, um, where the need is, what the issues are first, and then moving forward in a collaborative way um, to address and see what changes and improvements we can make. Brilliant stuff. Um, and just give us out your social media details, your website and all that before we let you go. Yeah, we've, we've a new website. It's www.childcancer.ie. Um, so a, we're hoping that it will be really an information hub for for families. And um, then we, we that will connect into with Facebook page, Instagram. Um, and then the Gold Ribbon Conversations podcasts are available now from wherever you get your, your podcasts from. The podcasts are a brilliant idea, Mary Claire. Well done on that because they everyone's are, listening to them now. Really yeah. Two of my colleagues, um, were, again, who are voluntary directors, um, put these um, together and they are issues with, um, with the name of it. They're, they're, they're really excellent. There's, um, it's a Sinead O'Moore is the, um, the host from everymum.ie podcast. I know her, yeah. They really are. They are excellent. Fantastic. And we're so thankful for the the parents and, um, you know, the the parents who shared their stories, which is not easy for for people to hear and to... um, to to let them know what what their lives were, were like when when they were in treatment and and also um, having lost a, a young uh, child to cancer. Absolutely. Well, Mary Claire Rennick, director and parent of the Childhood Cancer Foundation of Ireland, thank you so much for joining us on the late lunch here on LMFM. Thank you very much. We're going to take a break now, but still to come, we'll be talking about the further easing of restrictions, COVID restrictions. We're nearly coming to the end. My God, are you back to work? What are you doing? Uh, Do get in touch with us here on The Late Lunch and we'll be speaking to Finbar Murray from The Zone and Huckleberries in Navan after this. It was a huge hit, I believe, in the States around the time of one of the end of year exam something like that but it was uh, it's a great song yeah always reminds me of the leaving cert and I know when my son did his leaving cert or not the COVID leaving cert me and my younger son were singing that to him and he got all emotional and everything yeah he did he got all emotional uh, you're listening to The Late Lunch here on LMFM we're here until half past three and we'd love to hear from you as always the text number is 086 658 uh, as I said we're here until half three and we've loads and loads coming up but first let's talk to um, where's my running order now I'm lost <laughs> <laughs> Finbar Murray from The Zone and Huckleberries in Navan. Finbar, how are you? I'm very well, thank you very much. I wouldn't mind now. Louise said your name about three times in my ear and then I got stuck into the whole Green Day song and I was like, oh, where am I? I got a bit melancholic there. No, no problem. <laughs> You're very welcome along to the late lunch. Thanks very much. Um, we're easing the restrictions, which is, is great news. Uh, tell us a little bit about your venue and what's happening there. 
Yeah, well, I've always got the, the Zone Extreme Activity Centre in Navan and Hockey Boys Down. Uh, it's an all indoor venue with indoor karting, uh, bowling alley, virtual reality, laser maze, shooting simulator, and of course, Huckleberry's Den, uh, which is a soft play centre for, for the younger kids. Yeah, there's so everything there, karting and everything. Karting and everything, yeah. Karting is one of the, probably one of the most popular things that we do. Um, we've been going for the past 13 years, so uh, we're a fairly well, well-established business, and uh, it's, been, it's been very good to us. Um, it's been difficult now over the past year and a half with all these restrictions and I bet. Being closed. Yeah, been closed for you know we're we're basically closed for a year and a half, so it has been very difficult. And I suppose you know today is another milestone. We're nearly there. We're nearly into the country being fully reopened, but things will be different. Things will change. When they say you know we're coming to the end of it now, what does that mean for you? Well, it means, well, for a start, like, I suppose today is brighter than yesterday and hopefully that trend will continue. Um, but for us, it means that we can open. We can open our doors. We can welcome people in. Um, anybody that's vaccinated or that's eligible for, uh, for the vaccination, they're, they're more than welcome to come in and take part in activities. So, for example, we, like, we've had our bowling alley sitting there for a year and a half without anybody coming in to roll a ball down, down the lane. Wow. Um, and now, now we can do that. Uh, so, so it's a huge day for us. We're, we're really excited uh, to be able to welcome customers back. And have you had loads of queries? We've had, we're inundated with queries. It's just fantastic. Um, we I can only imagine. In, just a load of yeah, frustrated we, people trying to get back out there again. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, like, um, we just can't wait to see them. Uh, we can't wait. Unfortunately, I, I always say that we know we've done our job when we see the customers leaving with a smile on their face. Unfortunately, we won't be able to do that because they've got masks on, but we know that they'll be smiling underneath those masks. Do you know what? I'm so tired of the masks. I know we have to wear them. Of course we do. Public health guidelines and all of that. We have to wear them everywhere, indoor, outdoor, the whole lot. I get all that, but I'm, it's the one thing I am so fed up. <laughs> you can't see people's faces yeah, or anything. You know, It's tough, all right. It's tough. And recognising people, yeah. And, and actually, sometimes, you know, people are crying leaving because they don't want to leave. It's, oh, it's good as well. I can imagine, um, yeah. You're going to have loads of that this week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and like, you know, we're back to creating memories for kids, uh, for adults, for all ages. But, you know, it's, it's a great... I'm very proud of the fact that we create so many happy memories for, for families. Um, so looking forward to doing that again. Oh, brilliant. And so you're, you're, you're open today. And, I mean, will they be all heading in after school? Is that your busiest time? Uh, back to yeah, after school and weekends. Um, we've got staff training today and tomorrow, and then we're opening the doors to the public on Wednesday. Can't wait! Um, so all the staff are all excited. They're getting all their COVID protocol training done, um, and we're just giving the place a good once over and opening the doors on Wednesday. No harm in that. Tell me about your staff now. How many do you employ, and did you have to let them all go, or were they on the COVID payment, or what happened to all of your staff? Yeah, like myself, um, we were all, we were all on the COVID payments. Um, we had twenty six staff when we closed the doors, uh, and unfortunately, um, a good number of them have kind of moved on or um, are doing other other things. Uh, so we now have I think it's fourteen people um, when we're re- reopening. Uh, so it's a bit, it's a bit of a loss. Um, we've lost some really really good people. Uh, but I'm very confident on the team we have now. And and the guys that uh, stuck with us, our staff, main key staff, um, we're just delighted that they're still on board. We've got a really good team. 
and uh, looking forward to the future. Good stuff. That was some of the the down points, wasn't it, of COVID, that um, people just couldn't survive on the COVID payment and um, they they went elsewhere to look for work. I mean, that happened all across the board, restaurants, pubs, everything. People just said, look, I can't wait. I have to go abroad or I have to find a job here or there. And people just started doing completely different jobs just to survive because they just weren't fortunate enough to be able to manage, you know. And when there's jobs going, I mean, you can't really, you can't really blame them. Not at all. No, you can't. No, people have to live their lives and they have to move on. And it's unfortunate that we're one of the last sectors that's able to Mm. reopen. So, like you know, there's a lot, a lot of uh, jobs have been have been taken up already, and then you have a lot of people that just you know they, they enjoyed their kind of family life and they don't want to come back to work. Yeah, um, yeah, you know, which is understandable as well. Of course, uh, and, and like you know, we have lost really really good people to to other jobs, but as I said, we've got a great team here now. Super, um, and uh, yeah, the future is looking a bit brighter. Good stuff. I might bring my son down there. So, where can everyone find you at the Zone and Huckleberries and Navin? I mean, you're online. Your Facebook presence. Give us all your details there before you Absolutely. go. Absolutely. The, the website's www.thezone.ie and huckleberriesend.ie. Um, we got loads of kind of online offers and details on the website. Facebook, of course, Twitter, uh, or uh, call us oh four six nine zero seven one six two three. Um, and we'd be delighted to take all your inquiries and uh, email as well email info at thezone.ie or info at huckleberryzone.ie uh, and we'll, we'll get back to you. Oh, well, you're certainly, you've a pep in your step today anyway. I can hear it in your voice. <laughs> you're delighted. Yeah, absolutely. As I said, today is brighter than, than, than yesterday and hopefully that, that will continue. Uh, we're just looking forward to the future. Well, we wish you the very best of luck, Finbar. Uh, thanks so much for joining us here on The Late Lunch. No problem at all. Thank That's you very much. <laughs> no problem. That's Finbar Murray there, the owner of The Zone and Huckleberries in Navin. Absolutely raring to go to open his gates and doors and everything to let all the kids and their mums and dads back in. But be fully vaccinated and uh, enjoy the crack. Sounds like a brilliant place. We're going to take a break and coming up, we'll have the Husky Whisper. Stay tuned. Welcome back to The Late Lunch here on LMFM. I am Alison O'Reilly and uh, I'm here with you for this lovely Monday sunny afternoon. Well, it was gorgeous and sunny when I was driving up from Dublin. You can text us or WhatsApp us on 086-1800-658 or you can email us at info at lmfm.ie. Still to come on the show, we'll be hearing about the new Meath Crime Prevention Lock It or Lose It scheme and also the importance of defibrillators. But first, our next guest says he doesn't know where he would be without his pack of huskies. Before they came along, Dave Finney from Muller says he was depressed dependent on drugs and homeless. And here to tell us more uh, is Dave himself. Dave, you're very welcome along to The Late Lunch. How are you? No bother. Thank you very much. I believe you're known now as the Husky Whisperer. Um, yeah. Wow. It all started with King, King the dog who was going to be shot by a farmer for killing his sheep. Tell us about King. Um, well, I was looking for a dog and I was out running and walking so I was looking for a very high active dog and I always loved huskies and it was always a dream to get one but I never thought I'd get one and then just by chance I was looking on done deal one day and King came up just this scared little pup in the corner of a shed and when I rang the farmer it was on a Friday evening and I rang the number, and it turned out to be a farmer, and he said, 
if the dog wasn't gone by tomorrow, that was it for the dog. My Just God. couldn't control her that anymore. So as soon as I heard that, got into the car, took an hour and a half drive down and pulled in. It was pitch black and the light of the car just shone up on the shed and out came this little husky and it was just love at first sight. Oh, oh, I'm going to start crying. Oh, look, I love dogs. Anyone who knows me knows I love dogs. But it's also really important, Dave, that you were in a terrible place. I mean, you were feeling suicidal. You were really thought it's all over. And then this light shone in your life called King. Yeah. And where is King now? Um, King's in lying down on the couch at the minute. <laughs> <He's> <laughs> the only one here in the pack now that retired. So <laughs> he lives a nice, easy life, that fella, and gets spoiled. Oh, fantastic. But they've gone on to win nine All-Ireland titles. I mean, you have a whole load of them now. How many do you have? Um, we've 11 dogs there at the minute. So we've six Huskies. Uh, we've two Weimaran or Pointer Crosses, um, a Rescue Staffy, a Rescue Dutch Herder, and uh, we're taking care of my brother Zakia. Oh my goodness. And how did you go on then to have so many dogs after King? Why? What spurred you on then to get some more and then enter them into competitions? Um, well, I was just uh, always rescuing Huskies. So we've taken a Husky and uh, rehabilitate over a few weeks or a few months. Mm. And then we go about looking for the perfect home. And I go with my partner then, and we were coming up on our three-year anniversary. So I got um, a working line husky for her for anniversary present. So I knew I always wanted to work them in that. And... After a few years, we had an accidental litter and I didn't really want to get rid of any of the puppies because you see what happens to huskies and how many are going into rescues and that. So I ended up just keeping them for my own team. Oh. <laughs> but then how did they go on to win all the titles? I mean, this is all, I mean, you'd no, no experience with them before. Um, No, not really. It was just by chance. I had the pups and I was going down to Daniel Tarley there in Yuri. He runs Go Mushing. And I was going down to him to get some harnesses and collars. And he asked me if I was going to the race at the weekend. And I obviously thought he was talking about car racing or something. So I was like, oh, no, <laughs> I'm not really into that. I'm yeah. just into my dogs. And he's like, no, the dog racing. And again, of course, like most people I was like oh grand and he was like no and he sent me the page and I reached out it was the Irish Federation of Sled Dog Sport and I reached out to them and asked them if it was possible if I could come down and just be a spectator and they kind of talked me into entering my first canny crossword race which is just you have a belt and the dog's attached to the belt by leads, and you just run with the dog. So it's no equipment or on, really. You're just out running with the dog. So, of course, I said, yeah. 
when I went down, all the big classes go out first, like the four dog rigs and the two dogs and that. And once I seen that, I was just straight away. I was like, this is what I want to do in my life. Wow. I, I had the pup, so we just started incorporating, training that into it, started researching the sport, started looking at the sport. Then we went and had our first season of racing, uh, which was pretty good, although we didn't do quite good in terms of results and that. It was such an eye-opening experience. So it made us go back to the drawing board and start training in a whole different way. And now we're one of the fastest teams out there. And you've got some fantastic names for the dogs. Call them out to me there. Uh, So we have King, Kaya, Titan, Tasman, Koa, Spirit, Phantom, Ellie, Delta and Phoenix. I love it, yeah. Spirit, gorgeous and Phantom. (laughs) (laughs) But you yourself, um, how are you feeling? Because you say you don't know what you would have done without those dogs and the dogs obviously clearly needed you. But I I find as a dog owner, I have five dashies, um, that they do more for me than I do for them. I'm obsessed with my dogs. Yeah, yeah, sometimes I feel let down because I feel like I'm not giving them everything I should. You know what I mean? Because they give me so much. Yeah. It's like I feel like I should be giving them way, way more. When I know I give them everything they need and more, but you can't help but sit there and look at your life and be like, I am where I am because of these. And they don't necessarily have one notion of it. They're just happy to be around me, happy to be working, happy to be out, whereas I reap all the other benefits of it, whereas they're just doing what they love to do. I think you're absolutely right, Dave. I feel the exact same way about my dogs. I'm yeah. always hugging and kissing them and they're <laughs> the best. Listen, if I, could, <laughs> if I could get them four poster beds, I would. I'm obsessed oh. with my dogs. I I would just, I never get anything done. I'd just be playing with them the whole time. But I always feel I'm not doing enough for you because you've done so much for me. You know, my, yeah. my dogs... Um, came into my life on the 24th of January 2019 and it was a year after I uh, in 2018 I had suffered the worst possible loss you could ever imagine and me and my family were in a terrible state and then I read about these dogs and I feel I know exactly what you mean because they just light up my life I absolutely idolise them and I always feel that way about them I'm not doing enough for you <laughs> I, do, I totally get that I totally get that um, so uh, you're, have you more competitions coming up or what's um, yeah, how are they doing so thankfully the race season has just started well not well the first race was there last week um, Louise Jones she runs Positive Fitness she's based up in Dublin but she goes all around doing class and that. She held the first race last weekend. Unfortunately, we didn't get to it, but 
that was the first race since COVID, so it was great to see so many people in that area. And then she's the president of Canny Cross Ireland, which is another main club here in Ireland. And their first race is in three weeks' time down in Loch Bora. It's a full weekend of racing on the 9th and 10th of October. And then the other two clubs, um, the Irish Federation of Sled Dog Sports and the Siberian Husky Club of Northern Ireland, Mm. they'll normally kick off their season November, December time. And Dave, you yourself, I mean, at the time you were saying you were mixing with wrong people. Oh, is that all gone? Has that all left your life? That's all completely gone. Now I'm... uh, Drugs, drink, everything. Yeah, I met my partner at about the same time, I just after I got king. And I moved away from everything. And now we're back home my mother's house. I've got great family and friends and sport around me all the time. And life is just a lot better now. It lets me do a lot more things with the dogs and that. So I'm extremely grateful especially to me mother and that. Well, we're extremely grateful for having you on the show. It's a wonderful story, Dave. Um, you should be very proud of yourself, but I know how you feel about the dogs. I, I, I totally connect with it. That uh, It doesn't matter how many times people tell you you're doing a brilliant job with them, you'll still think, I can do more. I get it. Yeah. I totally get it. But look, thank you so much for joining us here and telling us such an inspiring story um, on the late lunch here on LMFM. No problem at all. My pleasure. That's Dave Finney there, the husky whisperer with a very, very inspiring story. I can't say enough good things about dogs and what they can do for you, especially when you're in a really dark place. We'll take a break and we'll be back after this. You're very welcome back to The Late Lunch here on LMFM. We're standing by to take your messages, so do give us a shout. We're here until half past three. Uh, I absolutely love that husky story. Yeah, I'm still quite moved by it all. I know when I get home, I'll be <laughs> be listening to the podcast <laughs> And hearing it all back again. Uh, this, oh, I just feel, I love dogs, I love animals. Uh, but still to come on the show, <clears throat> we'll have former GAA star Connor Gormley. He'll be on telling us about how a defibrillator saved his father's life when he collapsed at one of his matches. And the Meath Coast first responders are also continuing to roll out their um, defibrillators around the county. So stay tuned for that. But first... The Meath County Council has teamed up with up with the guards for the lose it, lock it or lose it campaign uh, as the number of bicycles continue to be stolen. And to tell us more, Sergeant Dean Kearns is on the line. Dean, you're very welcome along to the late lunch. How are you? Good afternoon. How are you? I'm good, thanks. I'm good. I'm always really um, just so, it's very depressing the number of bicycles that are being stolen. And it's just a huge issue at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose if you look at the figures, even if you look at last year's figures around the country, we had over 5,000 bikes stolen. Uh, and like in this year alone, we've had over 40 bikes stolen in around the county. But you must remember, I suppose, with the cycle to work scheme, the value of bikes has gone up enormously. So you're looking at the average of a bike uh, nowadays that's been stolen, like they're all over in excess of €500, Euro, which is quite expensive. Yeah. You know? And I suppose if you look at all the the cycling groups the, and with, during coal with the amount of people that, are, that have bought bikes, purchased bikes, renovated bikes, you know, there's a huge amount of people have taken a big interest in cycling again over the last number of years. 
uh, which has possibly contributed because the demand for bikes and parts obviously has gone through the roof as well. And that's where we, we started this campaign uh, with me, County Council, to try and, I suppose, highlight the, the, the campaign of getting people, obviously, to get back cycling, but obviously to improve the security of the bikes when they're out and about with them and also when they have them at home. Yeah, this is a this is a big issue. I know certainly from speaking to people who've had their bicycles stolen, they say, oh, listen, I could buy 50 locks for it and it's still taken. What is the best thing to do? Uh, well, look, what we recommend is that, you know, if you're going to spend, I mean, bear in mind, a lot of people now can easily spend two, three, four, five thousand euro worth uh, or two, two, three, four, five thousand euro on a bike itself. So you need to put a bit of value into the bike lock. And you, certainly there's exceptionally high quality security locks out there that you can buy that will protect the bikes. There's no doubt about that. But yeah, there is the cheaper locks that are that are very, very inexpensive. And But they really, really are not going to protect the bike. You certainly should consider even, like the recommend between 10, between 10 and 20% of the value of the bike on a lock. Now obviously that's not always going to be practical when you're looking at a bike that's worth maybe three, four, five grand. But certainly there, there is high quality uh, locks out there that you can get that will make it exceptionally difficult uh, to take a bike if it's secured properly. There's no doubt. And it's worthwhile going into any of the bike stores, any of the bike shops around the county or wherever you live in, or going online and, and purchasing or investing in in a high-quality lock because it'll, it'll stand the test of time. You know, they have been tried and tested. Uh, and if they're secured properly, you know, to a parking stand or some other device, you know, it's, it'll be very hard to, to walk away with them. The criminals, you know, we've seen YouTube clips of them there, or CCTV clips of the criminals, you know, breaking the locks. But if you spend, you know, a reasonable amount on a good lock, that shouldn't happen. There's no doubt about that. I've seen um, the figures there. 5,200 bikes stolen nationally in 2020. And the average cost of the bike, as you said, is in around 500. Uh, but then the most common time for a bike to be stolen is between 8am and 5pm. I would have thought that was a nighttime thing. Yeah, no, not all. Now, see, bear in mind that a lot of people, when they're out and about, they leave them parked, they're going to work, so they're tying them to ordinary parking stands, mm. they're going to maybe train stations, uh, you know, they're leaving them unattended outside shops, outside premises, and it's a surprising amount of bikes that are taken during this period of time. Now, obviously, there is a certain amount taken at night time as well. But the majority of them are taken during the day. You know, you have people out cycling on a Sunday. Mm. You know, you have people out, out going to matches, you know, uh, going to school. And a lot of times the bikes simply are just about, they're just left against the wall. And, uh, you know, bear in mind, a lot of the thieves, they're, they're opportunists. So if they see an, an opportunity to go up and take a bike that's not locked or not secured or really, really poor quality lock on it, they're simply going to take advantage of it. it that is the simple reality yeah. of it, you know, and that's yeah. what's happened. You know, opportunity. And uh, for the guards themselves, I mean, we've had a lot of people who have mixed reaction to how the guards approach it. Some people say, oh, you tell the guards and there's nothing they can do. What, what, what would you recommend for people to take a photograph of their bike, a serial number, as well as the lock, that kind of thing to help the guards? Because this is a massive rise in, in bikes being stolen. So everybody's kind of catching up with it a bit now and trying to make more awareness. Hence your lock it or lose it campaign. Yeah, and look, I tell you, the reality is, right, our biggest problem, whenever we recover a bike, uh, our biggest problem is trying to get an owner for it because 
the reality is people don't take serial numbers of it. They just simply don't. Now, a lot of people are getting better and they're taking photographs of the bike. At least that gives an idea and then they can recognise recognize the bike themselves. And only last Saturday, I was up with a community card up there in Tarracourt. We were engraving the air code onto an awful lot of the young children's bikes up there. And the way it is, what you want to try and put into this, that if we do come upon a bike, you know, we all we have at our disposal is a serial number to check mm-hmm. or if there's an air cord or someone marking on it, then we know we'll get the bike back to you. So we are recommending that if you have a bike, do take a note of the serial number right on the back of your insurance, house insurance or whatever the case may be. But most important, that make sure that whenever your bike is lost or, or, or stolen, always reported to the local guard station. It's really, really, really important because many of the time we would come upon bikes mm-hmm. uh, and you'll know they're exceptionally high quality, but th- there'll be no record of them uh, stolen or lost yeah. on our whole system. Yeah. So it is important to get that point across there. Do take a note of the serial number, take a selfie of the bike, or just take a good photograph of the bike itself. But do make sure that you always, always uh, report it when it's lost or stolen. At least then we'll have an idea, you know, with the make and it. And we, we, at least you're going to get a chance. Or yeah. Give us a chance of getting the bike back to you. Great, great. Very sound advice. That's Sergeant Dean Currents there from the Lock It or Lose It campaign. Dean, thanks very much for joining us here on The Late Lunch. You're very welcome. We'll head to news and sport next. Welcome back to the late lunch here on LMFM. Now, if you were listening a little bit earlier, I was telling you that there are some tickets to give away to Declan Nurney this weekend. And I had the name of the person here, but I can't open the phone. <laughs> Just give him a bit of a technophobe. And Daly from Talonstown won the tickets uh, that's Declan Nearney so give us a shout and um, they're all yours and enjoy yourself and have a great time um, and uh, we had tickets to give away on Friday as well so another lucky listener scooping tickets there for Declan Nearney now you are listening to the late lunch here on LMFM with myself Alison O'Reilly and Louise Walsh my lovely producer the show producer um, and you can text us here on 086 1800 658 or WhatsApp us or email us at info at LMFM fm.ie uh, just to let you know as well <clears throat> If you're in a band or a solo artist and looking for that big break, October will be LMFM Irish Music Month and we want to hear from you. You could be in with a chance to perform live on LMFM and play at a nationally broadcast event and win a prize of €5,000. Wow. Irish Music Month is promoting Irish artists from every genre and from every county in Ireland. So you can enter now and check out lmfm.ie or the LMFM socials for more or you can email some info along with an mp3 to irishmusic at lmfm.ie that's irishmusic at lmfm.ie and Irish Music Month is supported by the IBI Hot Press and the BAI Sound and Vision Fund that email address again irishmusic at LMFM. And still to come on the show, we're going to be talking to Conor Gormley, GAA star, who's going to tell us about how a defibrillator saved his father's life when he collapsed at one of his matches. And also the Meath Coast first responders who are continuing to roll out their fantastic defibrillators at uh, certain venues across the county. We'll take a break. Be back after this. Welcome back to the Late Lunch here on LMFM. Now, the importance of defibrillators cannot be stressed enough because they help save lives. 
and uh, they're just so important and yet they're so easy to use. I think you'll all remember the shocking scenes of Christian Eriksen when he collapsed at the uh, at a big match there earlier this year and I know speaking from you know speaking to the Irish Heart Foundation and Cree and all of those uh, organisations that work with um, people with heart defects and, and the likes of, of all those um, important topics they've said that they have been inundated with people who want to learn about defibrillators and they want to learn about massaging the heart and all the important life-saving treatment that you can give to somebody um, if something similar happens and it does happen a lot and um, the Meath Coast Community First Responders have installed yet another defibrillator in the Laytown and Bettystown area now they've now brought these life-saving devices up to uh, 10 in the local community which is fantastic work because they are a group of volunteers living in the East Meath Coastal area and they're trained to respond to chest pain, stroke and cardiac and respiratory. Um, and joining us on the line now is Chair of the Meath Coast, CF or Ali Salchi. Uh, Ali, how are you? Not too bad, Alison, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on LMFM. Um, we can't stress enough how important these defibrillators are. Not at all. And you mentioned Christian Eriksen yourself. He had a cardiac arrest on, on a truly global scale. And there was a fantastic outcome in that case. And we talk about the chain of survival uh, in these cases, which means early CPR, early defibrillation, early to hospital, and it, it works, it saves lives. I mean, and it showed that. It showed that at that huge match where it brought back so many memories for so many people who may have been in a similar situation. But he was right there in the glare of the global spotlight. They reacted fast. They saved his life. There you go. And it can be as simple as that. And that's why we would urge everybody out there, become familiar with where your local public access defibrillators are. Become familiar with doing CPR yourselves. If I can do it, anybody can do it. Children can do it and they've saved lives before. And tell us about your rollout of the defibrillators and why you're doing it. Well, we've been going since about 2012. And we've gradually increased the number of public access defibrillators that we have. And uh, one of the reasons um, why community first responders are so important as a backup for the ambulance service, especially in rural areas, is um, if you if you were to, to call an ambulance, make a 999 call and ask for an ambulance, an ambulance is dispatched immediately. And if it's a time-critical condition, so we're talking cardiac arrests, choking, chest pains, suspected stroke. You could, be, you could be lucky there could be an ambulance around the corner or in our area, you could be lucky it could just be coming from Drogheda. But depending on how busy they are, it could be coming from Dundalk or Castle Blaney or Swords. And if, if you're choking or you're having a cardiac arrest, then that's going to be a problem. You don't stand a very good chance of, of, of surviving waiting for an ambulance for that long. So what will happen in that case is the ambulance is dispatched. A team of community volunteers like ourselves will be simultaneously notified, and we can be there on the scene within four or five minutes. We've even arrived on scene in less than 30 seconds before. Oh, wow. All depending. And what happens is our volunteers will arrive. We'll have a cardiac defibrillator with us. We'll start good early CPR, that's chest compressions. We'll get the uh, defibrillator working on the patient as well. 
and that just increases their chance of survival until the ambulance arrives and they can take over and work alongside us. And you're working, as you said, but a, a collab- it's a collaboration with a GAA grounds and football grounds. It is, absolutely. I mean, a lot of our public access defibrillators are, are in um, GAA grounds. Um, we've got two in, in, in uh, our local GAA ground. We've got one in the soc- soccer ground. We've got them on the streets, in the villages. We've got them everywhere. And um, especially, well, not just since the Christian Erickson case, but we get out there and we raise awareness and education and we try and get as many people confident enough to use these as, as, as possible. And they are easy to use, aren't they? Oh, they're so easy to use. I mean, let's say you've never encountered an external defibrillator in your life. You go to the box, you take it out, press the on button, and it talks to you. It tells you exactly what to do. Check the patient's airway and put the pads on the patient's chest like this. So, I mean, it's, it's completely foolproof. But um, if you can familiarize yourself with them, if, if, you, if you can learn a bit of CPR, then that's even better. But they are dead easy to use, Alison. And uh, Connor uh, Gormley is a, a former GAA star. And uh, Connor, thanks for joining us here yeah. on the late lunch. But obviously, the the, the Christian Eriksson was a, was nearly a turning point for people because it happened so publicly in front of everybody, um, and they could only treat him on the pitch at the European Championship game. But something similar happened to your dad. He was watching you play when he collapsed. That's correct, yeah. Just over three years ago at the start of May there, we were playing just a, a normal sort of club league game and uh, just I was coming out from the start of the second half, just coming out after half time and one of my managers came running over and he said, your, your dad's collapsed in the stand and he took a cardiac arrest just in the, in the stand just, to, just as I was come walking out. So I had a, a run over and, and, and left the fence and he was there lying in the middle of the stand, you know, and Again, you're just talking about people the quick, quick response they had. We had there was nurses in the stand, they were watching the game and they were fantastic. They just were really took over and got them in a comfortable position. They started CPR. Um, quick thinking then from the club that the defibrillator just like just like was mentioned there, they had one available. It was brought over and uh, I got it opened up and I, I put the pads on and as I said, it really takes over and talks you through the whole the whole, the whole process, you know, and it's just. An unbelievable bit of kit, and without that bit of kit, uh, my my dad wouldn't be alive, alive today. You know, so it just was thankful it was there and it was working, and and as I say, that just was, we were very very lucky it happened. You really are so and, lucky that it, yeah. again he was surrounded by people who were quick thinking and knew what to do. Uh, I was out of doubt, like without without them, sort of knowing or having a bit of confidence and a bit of who's obviously training and, and and knowing what to do with the defibrillator and on that as well. Like so, it just was. Very, very lucky. He was golfing that morning as well. He was in the local golf club here and if it had happened maybe out on one of the greens or out on one of the fairways, it could have been a totally different story. Just we're very fortunate where it happened and the defibrillator was there and just uh, the quick thinking of the people that, that were there and got got it going and, and got it on and thankfully it, it worked a treat, you know, because it showed it in the report back that um, we got, it showed him he was flatlined, you know, that he had no heart rate. The report came back and showed twice he had no heart rate, you know, so it just shows you how how important uh, equipment it is and thankfully it, it, it worked and, and he's, he's still alive today as I said My goodness a miracle and and Connor, you're obviously campaigning for the importance of these at, at sporting venues in particular 
I was out of doubt, yes. It's, 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 it would be massive, surely. Just listen to the story there, but you're talking about sort of down in the East Coast of me there, that mm. they're getting more defibrillators available more in the, in the areas. And suppose that's someone that up here we could do a wee bit more of, more, a bit more campaigning, that they're, how to use them as well, how people are training them, how accessible they are. Maybe and to make sure they're working, Connor, to make sure they're actually working. Uh, that's true, you know, the batteries can go out of date, mm. the pods can go out of date as well, you know, so it's very, very important that then we things are checked regularly and, and kept up to date, you know, and uh, you know, people know where they are and just simple wee things, you know, you may take them for granted. I know that evening down in, we were in that club league game, the gear that was involved just were friendly with her and she was sort of praying that to God that the battery was okay and everyone was working and, you know, and just thankfully it was, you know, but so a simple wee thing you may take for granted, but when you go to use it and the battery's dead, that's a, you know, it's a... It could cost life just maybe, you know, for some, some sort of simple wee thing, you know, so it's very, very important to, to have everyone updated on it. Well, I'm absolutely delighted that your father, Sean, is doing well today. It's yeah. an extremely important story. Um, I'd like to thank uh, GAA star there, Connor Gormley, who is uh, hoping for uh, something similar in the north in, in terms of what the Mead Coast responders are doing. And uh, Ali Salchi, uh, who's chair of the Mead Coast CFR, who are rolling out uh, these defibrillators at, uh, as volunteers. Guys, thanks so much for joining us here on The Late Lunch. No problem, thank you. An extremely important story there. My own father has a, a very bad heart and I just it's very, very important to, to keep an eye on these things and to, to learn how to use them and to make sure defibrillators are working. Uh, thank you very much to all of our guests on the late lunch here today um, and uh, we'll be back tomorrow from half past one. Thanks very much to Louise Walsh, producer of the show and Eddie Caffrey is on the way. See you tomorrow. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 